You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow us, Bright City Church, on Instagram. Today's message is from Jess Conley. Amen. Good morning, Bright City. How y'all doing? Woo! I like a little woo in the morning. Okay. Hey, if we haven't gotten to meet yet, my name is Jess, and by God's grace, I get to be a pastor here at Bright City, and I love being on our teaching team, and I love doing life with you guys. We are in a sermon series right now called Speak to the Storm. Speak to the Storm. And Nick, Pastor Nick, kicked us off two weeks ago by encouraging us with this word that fear might have the first word in our life, but faith can have the final word. And last week, Alexandra brought us this incredible word about discerning the voice of fear over the voice of faith so that we can listen to the voice of faith. And today, we're actually going to talk about choosing love over fear. Choosing love over fear. But before we dive into that, I'm going to ask you this kind of existential and introspective question about yourself, okay? I'm not going to make you answer, but I'll tell you my answer. So the question is, how do you feel about your fear? How do you feel about your fear? How do you feel about your fear? How many way, different ways can I say it? How do you feel about your fear? So I'll tell you, while you think about this for yourself, I'll tell you how I feel about my fear. I'm in a place of acceptance with this truth um, that in my flesh, as it is, um, I'm the most scared person you've ever met, okay? I am, and if you want to know what that looks like in my life, I'll tell you. Um, for example, if you and I were to ever go out to eat together, I have to be facing the door. I cannot have my back to the door. What do I think I'm going to do if somebody comes in with a weapon? I don't know. But I'll be the first to know, and that makes me feel safer. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm the kind of person that everybody had different reactions to the pandemic. Some of you guys were really peaceful. Some of you took your supplements, and you felt fine, and you were like, God's got this. I started taking COVID tests, and I couldn't stop. I'm going to be really honest with you. Nick would catch me, and he would just come into the kitchen, and I'd have a swab up my nose, and he'd be like, Jess, what are you doing? And I'd be like, I'm taking a COVID test. And he'd say, do, do you have any symptoms? Have you left the house in the last six months? No. You can't take a COVID test. But it just made me feel better because I'm a person who has access to a lot of fear. I have, I have fear in my life. Things make me feel nervous. Um, I have a friend that calls me Liam Neeson. And it's because I track everybody I know at all times, and I know where everybody is, okay? So if you go missing, again, I don't know if I can come get you, but at least I'll know you're missing, okay? All right. I'm just saying I'm a person that now I have, I'm a little more accepting about the fact that I feel fear, and I feel a lot of it. But it hasn't always been that way in my life, and in the past, I've actually had a good amount of shame and maybe even a little bit of denial about my shame and about my fear. And so... A couple of years ago when I was in college, some girlfriends and I went on a little beach trip. And don't imagine anything fancy because it wasn't. Um, actually, we went to New Smyrna, Florida. Um, and I think it's because somebody's grandmother owned a condo. And so we went there. And so we're in New Smyrna, Florida. And we are at the beach. And I had a friend at the time who was one of my best friends. Her name was Stephanie. And Stephanie was deathly afraid of elevators, like super, super, super afraid. And Stephanie and I actually lived in the same dorm, and we lived on the eighth floor. And so for the first couple of weeks that we were friends, I was like, I'll take the stairs with you since you're so scared of the elevator. But I outgrew that quickly. And I was like, this is between you and God. Work out your fear. I'm taking the elevator. Um, 
And so we had this kind of rhythm that whenever we went somewhere with Stephanie, we would just, we like got in the rhythm of like, who's going to go up the stairs with her and who's going to take the elevator. I was not, not usually in the stair group. Um, and so everybody would just know somebody has to take the stairs. So we're walking back to this little condo um, and we're, have, we're having a conversation. Who's going to take the stairs with Stephanie? Why this needed so much intention, I don't remember because we were on the second floor of like a small motel, but we were talking about it. We were strategizing. Who's going to take the stairs with Stephanie? And as we were talking about it, people started mentioning other things that they were scared of. So somebody's like, oh, you know, I'm scared of spiders or Somebody else was like, I'm scared of the dark. Um, and I don't know why, guys, except for that I really was in denial about who I was in this period of my life, apparently. So as we were walking, I was like, I'm not scared of anything. And they kind of moved on to other conversations, and I'm scanning all the potential things I could be scared of. And I was just like, no, I'm, guys, I'm, I think I'm, like, really brave. I'm not scared of anything. And I kept saying it over and over again. I'm not scared of anything. What a dumb thing to say. So we get in the elevator, and I'm, I think I'm still like, man, crazy, so cool, I'm not scared of anything. Unbeknownst to me, the gals who have decided to take the stairs have run up the stairs, and they're waiting outside the elevator. And when the doors open, I'm the first person to walk out, probably still boasting about how I'm not scared of anything. And my friend Stephanie goes, boo. And when she did that, what happened is that my soul left my body. And I, I have to move the mic to tell you what happened. I got one inch from her face, and I went, <laughs> I screamed in her face like that, and then I ran as fast as I could to the motel room door, and I started banging on the door because I was so scared <laughs> because she went, boo. Um, and so it was that probably moment in my life when I decided, not to deny the fact that I was a very scared person <laughs> anymore. I'm actually scared of everything. Worst two days of the year for me, hands down, Halloween and April Fool's. Like, it's just a mess. <laughs> I'm not one of those Christians who's like, no Halloween. I'm just saying, it's like the ghosts are a lot, guys. And I, w I walk around, and I'm so scared. <laughs> and there's like a hand coming out of somebody's yard. And I'm like, can we not anymore? That is terrifying. April Fool's forget about it. My kids and I, I'm like, I don't do it. Don't do it. I can't handle April Fool's. I'm the jumpiest person you've ever met in your life. I'm just, I'm just a little bit of a scaredy cat, and it's okay. How do you feel about your fear? This is the thing. I think the problem is many of us are ignoring our fear. Many of us are pretending like we don't feel it or that we're not scared. And because of that, we are not allowing God to transform us through it. Many of us are pretending that we're not scared of anything. And because of that, it may be becoming a part of our identity. And we also may be missing out on just massive healing and massive love that God will bring to us and through us as we acknowledge that we are fearful people. So we're going to be talking about fear and love, obviously choosing love over fear. And when we talk about such common words, I feel like it's helpful for us to get on the same page about what is it that we're saying when we say these words, fear and love, fear and love. So when I say fear, here's what I mean. A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. 
So when we feel fear, which we do, I believe that many of us have different responses to our own fear. We, whether you've ever thought, like, how do I feel about my fear? The truth is you feel something about it, and you have some kind of response to the fear in your life. So I'm going to give you three ways that I think many of us might be responding to our fear and see if you find yourself in any of these. Um, I think, one, a lot of us feel deep shame about our fear. We feel really bad. We feel like there's something deficient or wrong with us. We wish we weren't so anxious and we don't know what's wrong with us. Or maybe we're really scared of something in our life, but we feel so much shame about that fear that we can't even talk to anybody else about it because we just feel bad. There's something wrong with us. We feel shame. We feel broken because of our fear. Maybe we even feel like spiritual shame. We feel like we're not, we must not be strong enough. We must not be faithful enough. Enough. We must not love God enough or trust God enough, and that's why we feel fear. I think another feeling that a lot of us have about our fear is maybe more like me. We feel prideful about it, so we deny it. We feel like that if we're strong or if we're good or if we're faithful or if we're manly enough or if we're womanly enough or if we're tough enough that we shouldn't feel fear, and so we deny it. We deny that we even have it. We pretend like it's not there. And then another way I think some of us feel about our fear is I actually think we've just come into agreement with it. Um, We've just made it a part of our identity. And in the year of our Lord 2024, I think we come by this honest because I think all of culture is telling us if you experience anxiety or if you feel worry, that is who you are. You're an anxious person. That's who you are. Instead of saying, like, I have anxiety or I feel anxiety, we're just anxiety-ridden people. That's now who we are. We're worriers or we're people-pleasers or we're very cautious or we're very safe. And we kind of write these labels to come into agreement with our fear. But here's the truth. Fear is not a sign that we're weak or even necessarily a sign that we're in the wrong spot. I love when a few weeks ago, Pastor Nick reminded us, like, fear is often a sign that you are moving and advancing the kingdom. So fear is not a sign that we're weak, or even necessarily that we're in the wrong spot, or we're doing something wrong. It's actually a sign that we're human. And we can see this, right, in the definition of it, a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, or pain. The the truth is, you and I, we live under the effects of a fallen world. We live in a world where there is impending danger, evil, and pain literally all around us. So to experience fear just to say, like, shame off you, to live in the world means we're going to feel fear. We're going to look at a passage in a little bit um, in Matthew 26, and we're going to look at a story in the life of Jesus. But before we do, I want to kind of get on the same page about some core beliefs about fear and about our experience with it. So here's this. Obviously, what we've just shared, this might sound a little wild, but I want you to stay with me. Feeling fear is not sinful. Feeling fear is not sinful. Now, some of us might be like, sure, totally. But I think if we're honest, we kind of live in a space, especially in a Christian space, especially in the, faith fa- in the faith space, where we equate feeling fear to weakness and therefore sin. 
But feeling fear is not necessarily sinful. Here's what else. You might be thinking like, but God's word says do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. I agree. You've probably heard it said. It's 365 times in the Bible, enough for every day of the year. Um, but here's the thing. God's word most often tells us not to be afraid. It doesn't tell us not to feel afraid. And those things are very different. God's word tells us not to be afraid. It doesn't tell us not to feel afraid. And those things are actually very different. Let's give one more kind of solid belief down before we head into scripture. How do we know all this is true? How do we know that it's not necessarily sinful to feel fear and also that there's a difference between feeling fear or facing fear and not being afraid because Jesus faced fear and he never sinned. So right here, we're going to head into this passage, and if I'm being honest, I think some of us might have to kind of like shake our heads and cast off this vision of an American Jesus who was like so tough and so strong and never did anything wrong, but we're going to find something more beautiful, which is actual Jesus. So we're going to head into Matthew 26, and let's make some reminders about this context where we're going. So we're going to this passage where we're going to find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's an incredibly electric, poignant, powerful moment in his life, but also in the life of our eternal stories. So Jesus has just had his last supper with his disciples. He's just walked from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane doing the best teaching of his life. you got to read John 14, 15, and 16. He's talked to them about Holy Spirit. He's talked to them about how much he loves them. He's reminded them again, I'm going to die. He knows he's about to be portrayed. He's washed their feet. He's set up communion for them and said, like, when you eat and when you drink, remember me. And he knows he's about to be betrayed by one of his friends. And because he is fully man and fully God, he has submitted himself to the limitations of being human. And yet, he has a kingdom perspective. So his body is experiencing everything a human would. And yet, he knows what's about to come. And he's not just facing death on a cross, which is physically excruciating. But he's facing the weight of carrying the sins of the world, which is something you and I cannot relate to. This is a wild moment in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Let's read Matthew 26 together. Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further and he bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping because they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. 
the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So I want to go back to that verse 37. It says, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. The Greek word right there for distressed is adamaneo. Adamaneo, the Greek word means to feel fear, to lack courage, to be deeply troubled or distressed. Feeling fear is not a sign that you're sinful or weak. Feeling fear is a sign that you're human because you live in a world where there is pain and there is trouble. And you can feel fear, you can face fear and not act fearfully, not be fearful. And we know this is true because we see it in the life of Jesus. Now, anytime we're kind of solidifying a core belief about God or about how he interacts with people, we're gonna wanna see this corroborated throughout scripture. We don't wanna see it just one time, we wanna see it multiple times. So let me give you another passage that will help you solidify this core belief that Jesus faced fear and didn't act fearfully. Hebrews 4, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, hey, guys, together, can we, like, take a deep breath and say, like, number one, thank you for Jesus. Our friend and Savior who's like, I'm not going to just stand far off and say, like, must be hard being human, but I'm going to submit myself to the pain of it. And can we also just take a deep breath to say, like, wow, maybe fear isn't this thing that we conquer, but that we make space for and we figure out how God's going to move in and through it in our lives to make us more like Jesus. So to choose love over fear, because that's absolutely what we see Jesus doing in this passage, facing fear, to see him choose love over fear, I want to just notice a few different things that I think we can do that we can implement in our lives. So the first thing is this. To choose love over fear, admit you're scared. To choose love over fear, admit you're scared. In this passage, we see Jesus do two different things in triplicate. One, he goes to his friends and is like, Hey, guys, I need you. This is a lot right now. But we also see him go to his father and say, I know the plan, but I'm terrified. Is there any other way we can do this? I want your way, but is there any other way? Such a raw and beautiful moment that Jesus admits what he's facing, that it's distressing, that it's going to take wild courage he doesn't pretend it's no big deal. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you guys imagine if this story went differently, if Jesus was like, I got this, bro. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm so glad he didn't. I'm so glad he did it. I'm so glad that he let us see him be human and deeply distressed. We talked about those, those ways that we feel about our fear, and maybe you've begun to access how you feel about your fear as I talk, but... I want to speak directly to them as we, as we acknowledge that to choose love over fear, we have to admit that we're scared. So one, we said a lot of us feel shame about our fear, right? Maybe you feel like there's some massive deficiency in you. There's some brokenness in you that makes you scared of anything, of everything that makes you feel anxiety or makes you feel worry. If you are a person who feels shame about your fear, I want you to look at my face and I want you to hear what I'm about to say to you. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are not weak because you feel fear. You are human. And if by grace through faith you walk with Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can take the shame off of you. Actually, Jesus already did. And so we're going to kick the enemy in the teeth, and we're not going to waste our energy feeling shame about something that is very human. And instead, we're going to use our spiritual, emotional, and mental and physical energy to find the love and the fear and do the courageous thing. Amen? Amen. Now, what about those of us who maybe are uh, feeling some pride about our fear? And honestly, maybe we came by it honest. Maybe we were told that it was weak, literally. Maybe we were overtly told over and over and over again that to access our fear made us weak. Or maybe we were told in spiritual settings that only really unfaithful people got scared. If that's you and you're like, I've had to deny the fact that I feel fear about anything, I want to encourage you with this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, his power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. And so even those of us maybe that were in leadership or we serve people in another capacity and we believed that to show ourselves as fearful would make us less worthy of being leaders, I point to our friend and Savior Jesus, the greatest leader who ever lived, who let his friends and let his father see him distressed at the most important moment and didn't fake it. I often say, some of you have heard me say this, I hate the phrase fearless leader. Do not ever call me a fearless leader. Um, do you know what a fearless leader is? A sociopath, that's right. A fearless leader is a sociopath. You show me somebody who's like, I'm not scared of anything. I'm not scared of my people getting hurt. I'm not scared of me getting hurt. I'm not scared of doing it wrong. Don't follow that person, right? That's terrifying. That means they don't understand risk. That means they don't understand what's even happening, that there's no pain, that there's no anguish in the world. I don't want a fearless leader. I want a courageous leader. I want somebody who says, this is terrifying. Let's go anyhow. Amen? Maybe you heard that idea of like, ooh, agreement with fear. And maybe you're like, that's actually me. I, I don't fight fear. I don't feel shame about it. I've just let it be who I am. I've kind of said like, this is my personality. This is who I am. I'm a people pleaser. Ha ha ha. Which by the way is fear of man. Or I'm a perfectionist. Ha ha. Which is actually just fear of failure. Or maybe you would say like, I'm an anxious person because someone told you that. Instead of saying, I experience anxiety. You have now written it into your identity. If that is you, I want to encourage you at this. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And in the name of Jesus, if you walk with Christ, that is your firm identity. You can experience fear. You can experience pain. You can experience anxiety. You can experience worry. But it's not who you are, right? Amen and amen. To choose love over fear, first of all, we just got to admit that we're scared and maybe pay attention to how we're responding and feeling about our fear. We can't deal with the feel, fear. We can't speak to the storm. We can't choose love over the fear until we're honest about its existence. And so my encouragement to you is after you leave here today, pay attention to when you feel fear. Admit it. Acknowledge it. And then we get to move forward. Amen. That was so gentle.
Um, we're going to try it again. Amen? Amen? Okay, guys, thank you. Um, to choose love over fear, admit your scare. Number two, to choose love over fear, I want you to focus on the affection. Focus on the affection. So the Gospels are wild and beautiful because they show us all these different perspectives, right, of, of Jesus' life and his ministry and of what he's up to. So we just read together Matthew 26, which is this, like, deeply distressed moment in the life of our friend and Savior Jesus as he's facing the fear of what's to come and knowing what's to come and really just working it out with his father and with his friends. But one of my favorite passages in the Bible, um, which I'm not going to read because... It'll take way too long, but I want to. Um, but I want to encourage you to read. Actually, I'm going to give you an assignment, okay? I want you to read John 14, 15, 16, and 17 at some point this week. No problem. It's really beautiful writing. Um, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, to set it up in context, is from the moment where Jesus starts walking from the upper room until he gets to the garden. And again, it's wild when you read it in context because a lot of what's in John 14, 15, 16, and 17 is what you and I kind of like know as scripture and biblical truth. But when you put it in context and you realize that Jesus is saying it as he's walking with his friends to his death, it hits different. It's all this beautiful teaching. But in John 17, something really crazy happens. So they're almost at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to get arrested. And John tells us this beautiful part in his gospel, which is that Jesus starts praying. And before he starts praying, God, if there's any other way, if you'll let this cup go in a different situation, I'm really saying that out of context. You know what I'm saying, though. And um, before he starts saying, like, God, can we do it any other way? Before he starts expressing his anguish, he starts praying for his disciples, and he starts praying for us. Really, truly, it's beautiful. And he's saying, like, God, I, I came and I told them and I taught them your word. And he, he starts talking about his disciples to God. And he's like, I'm so proud of them. They obeyed your word. Protect them when I'm gone. And it's crazy because he's praying this in front of his disciples. And he's like, keep them. And then he starts praying. He says, not just for these, but the ones who are to come. He says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that, that they may be one as we are one and in them, you and in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. As Jesus is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying for his disciples and he's praying for us that we would experience unity, that we would know this wild relationship that he has with Father and Holy Spirit, that we would experience it. See, I don't think that Jesus is trying to distract himself from his fear. I think he's looking past it to what matters. He's focusing on the affection He's focusing as he starts praying and he's talking about God and his glory. He's focusing on the affection he feels for his father. He's focusing on the affection his father feels for him. He's focusing on the affection he feels for his disciples. And he's focusing on the affection he feels for those of us who are going to become his disciples. It's wild. He's not distracting himself. He's focusing 
on what matters. When we're talking about affection, what I mean is like the feeling of love. And this is what I believe to be true. I think a lot of us, when we experience fear, when we face fear, we do this thing that, again, we come by totally honest. And what we do is we just double down focusing on the fear, right? We're a little worried about something, and so we're like, interesting, I'm worried about that. Let me be all the way worried about that, you know? And instead, there's this invitation from God that's not about us getting better, but it's for us. An invitation for us from God to instead focus on the affection maybe we have for God, maybe God has for us, maybe that we have for other people. Let me give you some examples. Maybe it would look like worshiping during the middle of a panic attack. Maybe it would look like praying for the people you're worried about. Instead of stressing over um, a certain thing that you think might be happening to someone, calling them and saying, hey, can I pray for you right now? Can I speak some truth over us? Maybe it would look like declaring truths about God's love for us over ourselves every single day. Instead of walking around and making agreements with our anxiety and our pain and our worry, not feeling shame that we experience those things because we live under the effects of a fallen world and they are going to come. But instead saying, I feel anxious, but this is what I know to be true about me. I haven't been given a spirit of fear but one of power and love and a sound mind, I can experience fear and not be fearful. Focusing on the affection that God has for us, that he loves us so much that he made a way for us to be united with him and united with one another and to call our spirits up to walk in wellness and in truth, right? I'll give you another practical example of what this looked like for me. Um, Again, scaredofeverything.com. That's not a real website. If it is, I don't think we should go to it. Um, It's just something funny I was saying about me. Um, I I grew up flying, and um, my dad lived overseas when I was young, and so I had to to fly a lot, not not because I'm bougie, because if I wanted to see my dad, I had to go overseas. And so I flew a lot, and I wasn't scared of flying. I did it from a young age, so no big deal. But a couple years ago, my daughter Glory and I took this flight to Chicago. I don't know if any of you guys have ever flown into Chicago, but it's basically like, you know, you put like a – peanut inside of a blender (laughs) like it's awful um you're just your planes like this a lot it's crazy and so I'd even flown into Chicago a couple times no big deal but Glow and I fly into Chicago this one time and it was a literal horrible flight in fact Glow can tell you (laughs) um there there were grown adults screaming and crying on the flight it was really 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 awful I was one of them um (laughs) Actually, how am I doing on time? I'll tell you guys a funny story. I'm going to stop and tell you a funny story about this flight. Funny story about this flight to Chicago um, is that there are grown adults literally screaming and crying on this flight. It's so bad. It's traumatic, okay? Glow and I are in the back row, and uh, there's a girl sitting across from us who's a teenager, (laughs) and she's panicked, and she's crying, you know, because it's a terrifying flight. And so as the plane is like this, just peanut in a blender I reach across her and I started praying for her and I started praying in the spirit if you know what I'm saying and I was praying I was calling down heaven over her I was praying peace and all kinds of things and I um, just felt like it was my job in that moment to not focus on my own fear but maybe find the affection amen so I'm praying over her I'm just praying just going for it in Jesus name probably at the top of my lungs Um, the flight calms down the plane lands I remove my hand. I'm like, 
thank you, or you're welcome, basically, is how I feel. <laughs> um, and it was right around this time, uh, I noticed that the man in front of us has turned around to her, and she said, Dad, help. <laughs> she was talking about me. <laughs> she wanted help because I was scaring her. Um, not the plane. <laughs> so anyhow, what happened after this horrible flight is that I developed a fear of flying. <laughs> and it just hit me overnight. But the problem is I fly for work. I fly to teach the Bible. And so um, I had to get over this fear of flying. I didn't know what to do. And so I went to a therapist and I was like, I need help because this is my job. I have to go teach the Bible and I, I'm terrified to get on a plane. Um, and the therapist was like, okay, great. And she said, T walk it out for me. What happens when you're on the plane and you're scared? And I said, um, well, I'm worried it's going to crash. I don't know what you mean. Like, I was like, I'm worried it's going to go down. And she was like, okay, well, why is that scary? And I said, well, it's scary because I have four kids and I love them. And I don't, don't want to leave them. You know, I don't want to traumatize them. She was like, it sounds like you really love your kids. I was like, I do, I love my kids. And she said, okay, so there's some love in this fear. She said, the next time you get on a plane, I want you, when you feel scared, to do something loving for your kids. I want you to write them a letter. Or I want you to pray for them. Or I want you to plan their next birthday party. And I was like, that is a great idea. I thought you were gonna give me medicine. Um, <laughs> and she was like, well, let's try this first. And I was like, okay. Um, but what do, what do you know? I started doing that, and it worked. I found the love in the fear. And so I think, again, this isn't about Jesus distracting himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not about him gaslighting himself and pretending like his fear doesn't matter. It's looking through it and saying, it's them, it's the disciples, it's you, it's your glory. That's what I care about, and that's why I'm here. And that's why I can courageously move forward. So for you and I to choose love over fear, number one, we're going to have to admit that we're scared. Number two, we need to focus on the affection. Focus on the affection. Here's the last one. To choose love over fear, we can build a life of courageous devotion. To choose love over fear, we can build a life of courageous devotion. Now I'm a planner. Anybody else a planner in here? Thank you, God. Um, the rest of you, could you plan a little more? Because then we wouldn't have to plan so much, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I would live a lot less fearful if you had a plan. I don't know. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I'm a planner, and I love that in the life of Jesus there was a plan. We see this throughout the Gospels. Like, he was not confused about what the plan was. He knew the assignment, as Gen Z might say. Understood the assignment. Um, <laughs> he knew the plan. And so in this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's literally, one of the Gospels tells us, sweating blood, as he's in deep distress and anguish, as he's facing the fear because this is actually really painful what he's about to go through, he can move forward because he knows the plan. The plan all along is to come for the sins of the world, to die for the sins of the world, and to rise with our redemption and healing and eternal and abundant life in his hands. 
there was a plan of courageous devotion. And we see this played out not just in the Garden of Gethsemane, but throughout the life of Jesus. We see him resting because he could trust God's plan. We see him serving because there was a life of courageous devotion in place. We see him giving. We actually see Jesus generously giving, even though it was all his anyway. We see him leading people who would betray him. We see him praying for healing and actually healing. We see him speaking truth and asking for help. We see him making friends and celebrating. And all of this is because there was a plan there was a standardized life of courageous devotion. And when I say devotion, because we've defined fear and we've defined affection, I want to say, like, devotion is the profound dedication to showing your love. And so here's what I'm saying. I want you to come with me. I think that a lot of us, the, the path looks like this. We get into our normal lives and we feel fear, which we should feel no shame about because it is a natural experience for a human living in a fallen world. And we get a little bit smaller and we step back and we make our life a little bit safer. Pastor Nick used these words a couple of weeks ago. He said, basically, if you want to, you can medicate and mitigate your life away from fear. You can make it so small and so safe that you don't have to access bravery or courage on a daily basis. And so I think a lot of us, when we feel or experience or face fear, we take a step back and we make our lives smaller. And I think that maybe the invitation, the kingdom invitation from the life of Jesus is that when we experience fear, when we face fear, instead of getting smaller and safer, to take a step forward into courageous devotion. To maybe standardize courage and bravery in our life so that it becomes less of a huge adventure and more of just how we live. It's a part of the plan. Let me unpack it for you like this. I'm reading this book about um, hospitality, and I'm loving this book. It's really helpful. Um, and in this book, they talk about how one time um, in this restaurant, the whole book is based around a restaurant, there was one time in this restaurant that it's a really nice restaurant, people came in and their meter ran out. And so the busboy was like, hey, I got this, I'll go pay the meter, I'll go pay the meter. And the people at the table, even though it was such a fancy restaurant, that meant so much to them. And they were like, oh, my gosh, that's so crazy. That's so kind of you that you would pay the meter for me while I'm in this restaurant. And it was, it was such a profound moment that the people in the restaurant said, we're just going to standardize this. Now, anytime anybody comes into our restaurant without asking, we pay their meter the whole time they're here. So they don't have to think about it. They just standardized this beautiful sense of hospitality. So it was no longer a choice. It was just something they did. And this is what I think will happen for you and I as we acknowledge that we have fear and as we focus on the affection for God and for others in the midst of it is that we'll keep taking steps forward and instead of making our life smaller to anesthetize against fear, we'll keep taking steps into bravery and into courage in Jesus' name on purpose and it will become less scary to do the basic things. Now here's what, um, it doesn't mean we won't get scared anymore. It means we'll get scared of new things. <laughs> we'll get scared of new things. 
There are some of us in this room sharing our faith would be the most terrifying thing we could do. I think that God wants to take you to a place of courageous devotion where sharing your faith is the least scary thing, but then he's going to give you a new scary thing. I think there are some of us who serving other people sounds terrifying. Guess what? As we continue to move forward and develop a life of courageous devotion, that's not going to be scary anymore. But then after serving people, it's going to be leading people. And then you're going to get to experience new levels of his power and his presence as you step into those new spaces. What if we decided that we wanted to like standardize to build a life of courageous devotion? Here are some things I think it might look like. For those of us who would maybe jokingly before today call ourselves people-pleasing, which is the fear of man, people-pleasers, maybe it looks like you build a life of courageous devotion where it is normal for you to share your faith because you actually believe Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and you want other people to have that. And so instead of making your life smaller and getting scared of sharing that truth, you step into a bigger kingdom life of abundance and more courage and more bravery. Maybe for those of us who are terrified about the future, we start declaring Psalm 16:6, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and we start cultivating an abundant life right here, right now, and we stop waiting in fear of what's to come. Maybe for those of us who have believed the banner of social anxiety over our life, we start saying, I feel social anxiety. I feel terrified to be around people, but I'm going to kick the enemy in the teeth, and I'm going to serve, and I'm going to lead and show up anyhow. Maybe for those of us who are terrified, just shaking in our boots about provision and about our finances, we are going to actually say, actually, everything God's given me is his, so I'm going to give back through the tithe. Maybe for those of us who are just wrestling with shame and condemnation and we're just so scared somebody's going to find out we've done something wrong and so we're walking around defensive, worried, just terrified somebody's going to call us out. Instead, we're going to apologize when we do something wrong. Just say, I'm sorry, my intentions weren't great. We're going to repent and experience refreshment. Maybe for those of us who are just terrified of not performing and not being great, so we're striving all the time, we're going to rest in the name of Jesus and courageously be devoted to God in that way. First, we're going to have to admit we're afraid. And then we're going to have to focus on the affection in the middle of that fear and move toward it. But then I do believe in the name of Jesus, we can build a life of courageous devotion where showing up and loving others and loving God, even when we're scared, is totally normalized. And I wonder how your life individually would look different. I, I, I have this sneaking suspicion that you already kind of know. You already kind of know what would be different. But I got to tell you, I wonder how we would look different. I wonder how the church would look different. I wonder how Sunday mornings would look different. I wonder who we'd love differently. I wonder how we'd share our faith differently. I wonder how we'd serve differently or give differently. If we admitted we are scared. 
if we focused on the affection in the midst of that and if we built a life of courageous devotion to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is what the world asks. You've probably heard it in books or on podcasts or motivational moments. The world says, what would you do if you weren't scared? But that is the wrong question to be asking. The life of Jesus asks us this. What would you do if you were scared? What would you do if you were scared, but you wanted to show up obediently anyhow? Who would you love if you were scared? How would you serve if you were scared? What gifts would you use if you were scared, but by grace through faith, you had the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead at work in and through you? What would you do if you were scared? Here's the most important part of all. So we read this. We read Matthew 26. I want to encourage you to read John 14, 16, 17. And there's this temptation that we have to avoid. So there's this temptation to read the life of Jesus, to read God's word and be like, wow, what a great example. He was such a good example. Such a good example of courage. Such a good example of love. Look, he experienced, he faced fear, and he loved anyhow. He is such a good example. But the problem is that is only a part of the truth. For those of us who walk with God, Jesus is not our example. He is our Savior. And we don't get to just read words from his story and be encouraged. If by grace through faith you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've done this wild thing that we call salvation where you've said, I'm a sinner, I need help, I confess, and I, I want to walk in newness of life. If you've done that, Jesus is not just your example. You have access to the power that raised him from the dead. So when it's time for you to admit that you're scared, you have that power. And when it's time for you to focus on the affection, you're not just focusing on the affection that you have. You're not just working from the measure of love that you have. You are working with the love that sent his son to the cross and brought him back. And when it's time for you to keep showing up, you have wisdom, you have insight, you have words from Holy Spirit, the spirit that hovered over the water at creation. Jesus is not just our example. But none of this do we have access to unless we believe in him, unless we walk with him. He is just a good example unless we do the wild thing where we say, I want in. You're the way, you're the truth, you're the light. Let's admit that we're scared. We are. And that makes us human. Let's focus on the affection, the love God has for us, and the love we have for God, and therefore the love that we can have for others. And in the name of Jesus, let's build lives of courageous devotion and see what God might do. You in? Let's pray. Father, thanks for loving us first at just the right time when we wouldn't have chosen you. Thanks for sending your son, our friend and savior, Jesus, to die for our sin. Thank you for letting us see him face fear 
Thank you for letting us see him distressed. Thank you for this good news of grace that there is not something massively wrong with us, that we're human. Thank you for not sitting in be sitting in heaven right now, tapping your toe, waiting for us to get better. But now we ask that we'd be able to access a new level of courage and a new level of love to acknowledge where we're scared and to move forward in courage and in bravery and love like Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you be gentle but complete? Would you show us how we need to respond? In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening into Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.